0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Secular Buddhism Podcast. This is episode number 125. I am your host, Noah Roshetta, and today I'm going to talk about skillful action in times of uncertainty and stress. Keep in mind, you don't need to use what you learn from Buddhism to be a Buddhist. You can use it to learn to be a better whatever you already are. Before jumping into the podcast topic for today, I want to discuss and share some thoughts around the Zen koan that I shared in the last podcast episode. And this is the koan that goes like this. Lin Yi said, there is nothing I dislike. Now, I I mentioned in the previous podcast episode, this is one of those lifetime koans that you could really work with this for, for the rest of your life, constantly analyzing and asking yourself, how is that possible to, to reach a state where there's nothing that I dislike? And like I said, I, I, I like this koan a lot, and I like to revisit it, think about it often. And I want to share some of my thoughts around it. But first, I want to share some of the thoughts that were shared in our discussion group. So on the Patreon community for the podcast we have discussions around the podcast episodes around the zen koans and and many other things but these are some of the thoughts that came out of the discussion around this specific koan so christina said open quote there are parts of me ego states that dislike things and suffer from these emotions but i the i in parentheses can choose to access other parts and ego states that will help me find inner peace about these things through mindfulness and meditation. Through choosing, I can think and act more skillfully despite disliking the person or situation. And then she goes on to say, it's also fun to think there's nothing I like. You can play with this and ask yourself, aren't there also times when I don't even like the things and people I almost always like? Who am I in those moments? Close quote. And I really like what Christina shares here. Uh, I like that she's showing the other side of the same coin. If I'm going to say there's nothing I dislike, the similar analysis would work to say there's nothing I like. And I think that's accurate uh, when, we, when we really start to break this down. And that's another fun way to work with it. When you find yourself with a person or a situation that you really do like, to ask yourself, well, uh, do I really like what part of me likes this person in the same way that we do with things that we dislike. Now Bob shares a a slightly different thought here. He says, so this koan amuses me. Since my current focus seems to be observing how often I arises within me, this koan reminds me that disliking is not possible when there is no I, close quote. And I think that's one of the powerful parts of this koan for me is the recognition of who is the I in the statement, there's nothing I dislike. And when I understand or have more skillful context around this I that supposedly goes around liking and disliking things, then yes, I suddenly discover there is no I to be disliking anything. And in that sense, there is nothing I dislike is accurate because there is no I. I I like that interpretation. Uh, Mirella shares this, she says, open quote, the koan made me think about equanimity and non-attachment. There's nothing I dislike when I observe without getting attached. It is an invitation to look inward and investigate why I am disliking something or someone. I usually find that the reason I dislike something or someone is because of cravings, aversions, or fear. And I love the idea of using the koan as a reminder to look deeply into the causes of my dislikes and work with my cravings and aversions, close quote. Uh, and yes, I really like what Morella uh, is bringing up here, which is what, what I try to mention with all of this, right? This is always an invitation to look inward and to find the reason why we dislike something or someone rather than focusing on on. The dislike, or even the like, as if it was this thing that is not you know, that has nothing to do with me, and I think that's where we get stuck sometimes. We treat things like if there's something that I don't like, it has everything to do with the thing I don't like and doesn't have much to do with me. When in reality, if there's something I dislike, it's me that's doing the disliking. So there, it's it's about looking in and finding that what what part of me doesn't like what I'm experiencing or or this person that I'm with. And For me, my thoughts regarding this koan, I really like investigating the I in terms of impermanence and interdependence. Again, this notion of when I can see through the illusion of there being a permanent or independent me that exists going around this world and liking things or disliking things, when I start to see myself in the context of imperman- being impermanent and being interdependent, In other words, the impermanent me is the me that one day I like this, another day I don't. The interdependent me is that under this set of circumstances, I like this. Under this other set of circumstances, I don't like it. And when I recognize that, that gives me a big sense of freedom because I can recognize that I may dislike this thing now, but in another place or in another time, I might like it. And also from another vantage point, you know, you may like this and I may not like this. And if I were you, I would like and and dislike all the same things that you like and dislike. I think sometimes that's hard for us to really understand because we really do have this tendency of thinking that the way we go about experiencing life is the most accurate way. And to a certain degree, it is. It's not that it's the most accurate, it's that it's the only one that makes sense because we've only ever experienced life from one vantage point, the one that we're in right now in this present moment. And it's really hard to put myself in someone else's shoes. Uh, Maybe to some degree, if I could say, well, I've been there before, so I can see why you view this this way or that way, or why you like this or dislike that, because I've been where you are. That's a little bit easier, but that's still an incomplete picture because I've never been where you are right now because where you are right right now is there and where I am right now is here. And those are not the same place. They can never be the same place. I can only ever be where I am here and now. Therefore, my perspective and my interpretation of reality is unique. It's mine. It's, it's the only one that I'm capable of of experiencing. And to me, that's really helpful to know. Because I can take your interpretation of reality, and when you give me a description of your likes and dislikes, I can at least understand that, wow, for you that must make perfect sense, because my picture of reality makes perfect sense to me. And there, I think there's wisdom to be had in simply recognizing and acknowledging that, well, if I were you, and I was in your place and time... With every single set of circumstances and causes and conditions that have allowed you to be who you are right here, right now, I would probably be doing and saying and thinking the exact things that you say and think and do. I would be believing the exact things that you believe or disbelieving the same things that you disbelieve. And for me, that's really powerful to remind myself of that. I cannot help but to experience life the way I'm experiencing it. And this has been a really helpful perspective. Anytime I encounter some kind of a clash, so to speak with, in terms of views, right? Like someone will approach me, like, I just don't understand how you could not believe what I believe. Uh, and they may not say it like that, but that's the implication. And I, I, I sense compassion when I hear that because it's like, well, of course you can't, like, you can't possibly fathom why I wouldn't believe what you believe. Because you don't know what it is to be me, to think like me, to see the world the way that I see it, to uh, have experienced the things that I've experienced. And the same thing is true backwards. It may be really difficult for me to grasp, wow, how can you see the world through that lens? Or how could you believe this? Or how could you believe that? And But holding in the back of my thought the very same thing, like, well, yeah, it's I, I cannot make sense of that. But because I'm not in that specific place and space and time. But I can at least acknowledge that if I were, I would see it exactly the same way that that person views it. And that helps me to not feel a sense of judgment or, I don't know, sometimes people feel like almost indignation. Like, how dare you see life from a perspective that's not mine? And it's just, crazy because, well, you can't. I can't see it from your perspective. You can't see it from mine. And I can't even change you. I cannot put you in my shoes. Now, sure, we may end up having shared views at some point, but it won't be because they were forced, right? Anytime you try to force a perspective on someone else, it it usually doesn't work. They're, They're just going to entrench in their view because their view will always be the only one that makes sense. Now, if you want to expand that, you have to be willing to first of all acknowledge that there is more to be known and be willing to think of other perspectives and read books and talk to people and try to understand how, why do you see the world the way that you see it to me that's what gets this koan gets to the heart of that there is nothing i dislike and i like to think of that for myself right if i were to go around and say there's nothing i dislike but also that expression applied to someone else. When I'm with someone who says, I like this or I like that, I, I I can agree with that and be like, I get that you like this or I get that you like dislike that. It may not make sense to be, but if anything, if I have any sense of skillful action here, it would be, help me understand why. And maybe, just maybe with a little bit of skillful communication and time and patience on on the part of both people doing the communicating, you may understand a little bit more about why someone views something one way or likes something or dislikes something. And I think in, in our current environment, that might be a really skillful thing to do. Now, I, again, I can't change someone else's views, and that shouldn't be my goal. But I, have, I, I feel like there's almost a sense of responsibility on my part to at least want to understand someone's views. And this can get really uncomfortable really fast. So this is something that you would practice and don't get into topics that you're going to be really uh, emotional about because that's not going to be skillful and that's just going to, it's like putting yourself through torture. But if you've reached a point where you can be more uh, non-attached to your views and to your beliefs and to your uh, ideas and opinions, then it can be a really skillful thing to develop uh, the ability to have discussions with people about their views and their opinions and their ideas, especially the ones that don't match with our own. because It's like, huh, you see this, this, this way that's very foreign to me. I'd love to know why you see it that way. And maybe it just arrives to, okay, well, I guess we'll have to agree to disagree. But at least I have a, a little bit more understanding now about how you view things or why you view things. Those are some of the ideas that come to mind when I think of this koan, there's nothing I dislike. And as I go, I go through my day-to-day life and I encounter situations or people or uh, any, anything where that feeling of liking or disliking arises, I like to remind myself of this. There's nothing I dislike. And then uh, I'll analyze that, whatever that circumstance or the person or whatever, and think, okay, the interdependent, impermanent version of me who is the I that's doing the disliking? And then for me, there's a second component to this because the word dislike, well, what does that even mean? What does it mean to like something or to dislike something? And I like to think about that in the context of, you know, all things have like this tone about them. It's it's uh, it, it's like a sense of pleasure or a sense of uh, displeasure, uh, like liking something. The reason you like something is because it feels It doesn't um, produce a sense of discomfort or pain, it's doing the opposite. And uh, anytime you identify something that you like or dislike, there's an an opportunity to really practice because liking and disliking is is kind of the core of what we call the three poisons in, in Buddhism, right? There's the aversion to the things that we dislike, and then there's the craving for the things that we like, and those can both be poisonous. And then there's the third one, which is the ignorance, right? So the the moment I can identify, oh, here's something I really like. I want to understand why do I like this? I may find it's not skillful. I may learn something about myself by pausing and asking myself that. And same with the things that I dislike. If the moment there's something I dislike, wait a second, why do I really dislike this? Is it really me that dislikes this? Or like I mentioned in the last podcast episode, is it me that doesn't like a food or is it my taste buds? If I understand that it's my taste buds, well that changes the relationship I have with the disliking and that same way of thinking, I think extends to anything that you like or dislike. So again, the whole goal for me with this koan is I'm trying to learn a little bit more about myself. Uh, So keep that in mind. Now the next thing I I wanted to discuss was the the concept of, of keep calm and carry on skillfully. As all of you know, the, uh, the coronavirus is something that's affecting day-to-day life for uh, much of the world now. And it's been growing, and it's been something that's fascinating to watch and to see unfold. And I thought it would be appropriate to share some thoughts around um, mindfulness and what, if any, would uh, Buddhist teachings be trying to uh, convey to us during a time like this. So I want to share some of of my thoughts around this topic, and I thought it would be appropriate to dedicate a podcast episode to this. So I want to start off by sharing a quote, and this is by Pema Chodron. This is one of my favorite quotes, where she says, the most difficult times for many of us are the ones we give ourselves. So this quote from Pema is a quote I really like to think about often, because it's true, you look at this in your own individual day-to-day life and actions and and pay attention to how many of the difficulties that that you experience have to do with uh, difficulties that you've given yourself and as a society i see this especially right now in the context of what's happening with the coronavirus you can see how we create so many of our problems for example the the fear of uncertainty or the fear of the unknown uh, and and honestly the fear of death It can cause us to be very unskillful with our actions, and out of a sense of panic we may go buy all the toilet paper, for example, and then we complicate things for ourselves and for everyone else. And because we live in a world that is interdependent, everything that we do affects everything else. And the bad news with this is that we ourselves are the problem, but the good news is that we are also the solution. So I wanted to bring up this, con- this context of keeping calm and carrying on skillfully. Uh, I think if we all strive to be a little more skillful in our actions and we try to refrain from giving ourselves and others any unnecessary difficulties, now is the time to practice something like that. I think now is a good time to remember the uh, British advice and attitude during World War II to keep calm and carry on. But I like adding skillfully at the end of that. Because there are people who are carrying on, there are the hustlers who go and buy up all the toilet paper so that they can try to turn around and sell sell it for more money. And not only is that not skillful, it's it's not beneficial, it's not helpful. Uh, you could argue it's not skillful livelihood. And the truth is that it ends up hurting other people. There are people who actually need supplies and they go to the store and they can't find it because somebody unskillfully hoarded it. Now, at the same time, it would be unskillful to not uh, stock up on some supplies. But if you, you know, there's a fine line between do I need enough supplies to get me by for a few weeks while everything's uh, kind of shutting down? Yeah, that seems pretty skillful. Do I need enough supplies to carry me uh, through the next year? Well, no, right now that's not very skillful because you're going to disrupt the uh, supply chain. If demand goes up and we run out of uh, supply, it starts to disrupt things and it only complicates things and makes things more difficult for everyone else. Um, And again, with uh, acting skillfully right now in regards to traveling or, or the attitude of just kind of ignoring the dangers of spreading of spreading the the possibility of spreading the disease or the virus. You know, these are all things that we need to consider right now. Now, I know as as this was all initially unfolding, I was really tempted to just treat this like, look, let's just carry on and, and keep going about our day to day lives. And I read an article about uh, flattening the curve. So if you were to visualize this on a graph, there's an exponential curve that happens when a virus starts to spread. And the more that we interact with other people, that infected people interact with other people, the the uh, growth of that curve is really uh, exponential. It spikes. And then it's kind of just as fast as it came, it'll start to go away. But what happens with the spike, the problem, the reason this is problematic is because our current system isn't capable of handling uh, a lot of sick people at the same time. So the idea of flattening the curve means we spread that out so that it it spreads the disease uh, or the virus spreads slower. And you may, let's just say you have the same amount of people over the course of the next year who are going to get it. It's the same amount. But in one scenario, they all got it in one month. And in the other scenario, it was spread out over, let's say, six months or whatever, And if you were to visualize that on a chart, what you would see is the hospital can handle, you know, let's just using random numbers as an example, 20 people per month over the course of uh, five or six months versus in one month, now they're handling 100 or or 200 people that month. Uh, That's the difference. And I, I hadn't really thought about it that way. But when I visualized that, I felt a sense of responsibility to do my part to help flatten that curve. And that also entails not traveling. You know, I had a, a trip planned in May to go to France, uh, kind of a work trip uh, with the, the paragliding company that I'm a brand ambassador for. I was going to go do a paragliding trip in France, and I've been looking forward to this. This is something I was going to go do with my brother. And it got canceled because of all of this. And of course, I was disappointed and then realized how irresponsible that would have been to, to for them the organizers to leave it uh, planned. And then here you have people from all over the world congregating, doing exactly the unintentional thing that happens when you do that, which is we're all uh, risking spreading this from one country to another and from one community to another. But it got me thinking, Okay, you know, maybe I haven't been skillful in my understanding of how viruses work. So I started reading about it. And when I encountered this concept of the of the curve and flattening the curve, I was like, oh, okay, well now this all makes sense to me. And now I'm totally on board with the idea of of uh you know separation and isolating myself for a time and and all of these concepts that are starting to emerge. So for me, this concept of keep calm and carry on uh fits really well with my practice. You know, it, it, it's kind of funny in a way. To think that people will go out of their way to isolate themselves from everyone else to spend some time alone and 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 even pay to do that and they'll call that a retreat you <laughs> i'm going to go on a spiritual retreat and i'm going to pay to isolate myself so that i can uh you know for whatever reason you're going and here i guess one way to view this is now it's kind of a forced retreat now i get that there are differences you know, I'm, I'm home now with my kids whose school is now canceled for a month. Um, so you know, the dynamic of, of staying home on retreat alone is very different than we're all kind of stuck at home now. And uh, we have to, my wife and I both still have to work. We have to also entertain the kids. Uh, they'll probably have schoolwork that they're trying to do. So there's going to be a lot to juggle. So in that, in one way, it's not, uh, you know, it's not really a retreat. But if a retreat isn't focused around everyday life and challenges, then I think the there's no point of the retreat in the first place. So in a way, here we are on retreat, immersed in some of the more uh, uncomfortable, I guess you could say, aspects of day-to-day life. And there's going to be plenty of practicing mindfulness here in the next month for, for us. And I'm sure for a lot of you listening, wherever you are and whatever circumstances you're in, like the whole world right now is kind of, in some ways, being put on retreat. And I hope that we could spend this time to get to know ourselves, to practice looking in, to get to uh, understand ourselves a little bit more and to practice how we handle our aversion to the things that we dislike uh, or chasing after the things that we like. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to get at is this is a great time to practice. Uh, and I think it's really In a way, it's kind of cool that we can take advantage of almost any scenario, any situation and turn it into an opportunity to practice. And that in itself is a form of practice, because if you have the mindset of I'm only practicing when all the circumstances are adequate and just the way that I want them to be, now I'll sit and practice. Well, that kind of defeats the whole point. The point of of practicing, the reason that people even want to practice mindfulness is so that when they are in a circumstance that is uncomfortable, they're more comfortable with the discomfort. Well, here we are. This is a really uncomfortable situation that's happening all over the world. And there's going to be a lot of opportunities to be thinking about there is nothing I dislike and applying that to everything that you dislike that's happening in the world right now and practice with it. Uh, Get to know yourself, look inward, practice this concept of of looking in the mirror, looking in. So those are some of the thoughts that I wanted to share about this. Don't go out and buy all the toilet paper. That's totally unnecessary. It's not cool. Um, There are parts of the world where there are no problems with that. Fortunately, here in Mexico, uh, there's no sense of panic whatsoever. All the stores are completely normal, and walking around, everything seems like there's nothing going on. Um, Hopefully, that's not something that will end up backfiring in the next few weeks. Uh, I'm guessing some of that panic that spreads you know, in the U.S., it wasn't like that three three or four weeks ago, and now it is. Europe wasn't like that four or five or six weeks ago, and now it is. Uh, so we'll see how things go. Uh, but for now, things are good here, and uh, all of us have this opportunity for uh, practicing retreat time. And I wanted to just share these thoughts with you kind of as a uh, a unique episode where I'm not going into the normal topics like before. This is one where I just wanted to discuss the coronavirus situation. And for those of you who listen to this, who are on the Patreon community, this is a great place and time to interact with each other, spend time on there. Uh, I will be on there engaging with you regularly and practicing together. What are the things we like or dislike? What kind of tools do we have access to? I will be uploading some guided meditations and things of that nature. And uh, for now, that's all I have for this podcast episode. As always, thank you for listening, and if you want to support the work I'm doing with the podcast, consider becoming a patron and joining our Patreon community where we discuss the koans and the podcast episodes and and many other things, and you can learn more about that by visiting secularbuddhism.com. As always, if you've enjoyed the podcast episode, please share it with others and write a review or give it a rating in iTunes. And that's all I have for now, but I look forward to recording another podcast episode soon. But before I go, here is your Zen Koan to work with between now and the next podcast episode. Two monks were arguing about the temple flag waving in the wind. One said, the flag moves. The other said, the wind moves. They argued back and forth but could not agree. Hui Neng, the sixth patriarch, said, gentlemen, it is not the flag that moves, it is not the wind that moves, it is your mind that moves two monks were struck with awe. That's all I have for this podcast episode. Thank you for listening. Until next time.